everybody welcome back to the podcast daily it is freaky friday and it is a mailbag time as we get uh ready for the holiday weekend hope you have a, a safe and wonderful memorial day weekend i know that berm over there definitely will be he has massive plans mm. for the holiday weekend uh nothing yet crazy as crazy for bill landis and myself austin ward but we're all going to celebrate in our own ways berm just tell the people where you're going to celebrate this momentous occasion well now that you've asked, uh, I'm going to be chaperoning a bus trip of high school band and choral members and apparently art members as well uh, to New York City, where we will spend uh, 36 uh, hours in a whirlwind state uh, traveling around from uh, a tourist attraction to tourist attraction and trying not to impale myself uh, on the closest possible impaling device. Um, it's We're going to be on a bus uh, starting uh, Thursday night at about 7 o'clock until... Uh, roughly 7 a.m. on Friday morning. Uh, and then we'll reverse that on Sunday night, leaving there about 8 o'clock at night on Sunday and getting home uh, about 8 a.m. on Monday morning. So it's going to be a really great time, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, can't wait. I have uh, I have questions about the driving situation there. So you're going to be I do, for- too. So are there two <laughs> drivers, or is just one poor slug going to be pushing that thing gonna, for 12 hours overnight? I'm going to tell you this much, Bill, and this is a little you know, in-depth of, of my, my life. Uh, one of my brothers owns a, a transportation company, so I'm fairly familiar with the rules and requirements of, of what is allowed for bus drivers and how long they're allowed to drive in a particular day. Uh, knowing the rules, there has to be a second driver, now, where are we picking one up at, let's say, <laughs> 3 in the morning in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania on the way to New York? I've got no idea. I can only assume that's being handled by the professionals in charge. Well, good luck. <laughs> Hope I don't die. <laughs> hey, America, <laughs> if this is the last show you ever see me on, I want you to know I really appreciated all your support. It's been one hell of a run. <laughs> <laughs> been Learning new details about this trip that Berm is so excited about every day for the last three or four weeks. And it's just, I cannot wait for him to come back and just regale us with the stories of how smoothly and wonderfully this trip goes. It will be memorable. <laughs> Hopefully this show will be to the fine folks at ohiostate.rivals.com. I've already peeked at some of the questions to get an advanced look this week. They really delivered, Bill. I think we're going to have a good show. A lot of football, not as much shenanigans, but definitely the potential for some. Yeah, like a nice sprinkling of shenanigans, which I think is the real sweet spot. People want football, but they want a little nonsense too, and and I think we're going to deliver. Let's do our best. Do you have them up, or should I? I have them here ready. Okay, let's fire away. There were any number of football questions to start with. Um, Some like a little more serious than others. Uh, We're going to start with a fun one. From the Ville 614, what is the single best Ohio State football play you have seen live in person? I mean, it has to be the 85-yard touchdown run by Ezekiel Elliott against Alabama in the 2014 Sugar Bowl, right? I did not see that play, so that is not my answer. Or, I don't know, the 2016, the Curtis Samuel double overtime touchdown run. I I, I think I'd go back and forth between those two. Yeah, Burn thought it was going to be super easy, but it's actually not. It's pretty difficult in those two. Yeah. Because you have to like, is it the moment or is it just like, whoo, that was, that was some play. I don't like Xavier Johnson's touchdown run against Indiana last year was one of the better <laughs> plays I've seen. 
I, the one that comes to mind, I, I know that there are plays of greater consequence, perhaps, but this moment of brilliance from Braxton Miller, I have never got out of my head. Uh, at twenty in twenty twelve, uh, on the road at Penn State, it's just like, oh, what is it? You know, third and goal from the one and a half. Like, how exciting could this play possibly be? Uh, and it was the most jaw dropping display of athleticism I think I had ever seen in my life. That was my first year covering Ohio State. I was like, what the hell did he just do? Like, it was staggering. And I remember talking to I talked to some Penn State players that were on defense for that play and how ridiculous it was and preparing for Braxton. Uh, the play was running to like Reed Fragel's side and like he had no idea what was going on behind him. Uh, Braxton, you know, I don't, he's never really had a, the most eloquent way with words. He didn't really know how to describe what he did. And I, I was at a loss for putting it into terms myself, but it was in terms of like best moment that like my jaw was on the floor. That was it. It speaks volumes about Braxton's ability that I was certain you were going to talk about the Virginia Tech uh, spin, the spin move. Yeah, uh, I as don't. As opposed to I, the Penn State game. That plays overrated. That's my hot thing. I didn't really get that excited about the spin move. <laughs> well, I was on the field, so I was a little bit different. You know, when you're watching it from 20 yards away as opposed to up in the press box, I think. But um, to me, I, I guess the moment, the the atmosphere, like it has to be the the eighty five yards against Alabama or the Curtis Samuel double overtime. I probably lean towards the Alabama run because it led to a national championship, um, and also I didn't almost die as soon as the play ended. So mm. that I've got uh, a that was I've a got positive a hot take for Berm in that I don't even think eighty five yards through the heart of the South is like in the top five from that game. Well, I want to be very clear about something that I did not personally see the touchdown pass to Mike Thomas at the end of the first half because I was already in the tunnel walking back to the photo room to start working on halftime pictures because I thought there was no way Ohio State was going to score a touchdown in that moment. (laughs) So I was like, screw this. I'm going back to the uh, – that was a lesson I learned as a a young um, multimedia, uh, you know, uh, journalist. But – I only say it because there are, I think, very limited times. And my my mother used to always ask me, like, as an Ohio State fan growing up, how do I stay calm and watching these games? And how do I, how do I maintain an air of professionalism? And that play against Alabama is the one time in my career where I know I lost all semblance of objectivity and became a fan for about however many seconds it took for Zeke to run 85 yards and score that touchdown. So that one maybe has a little bit different, just like feeling for me. Sure. Bill. So I was in the elevator when that play happened Uh, (laughs) myself, myself and Ari Wasserman, we were working together at the time at cleveland.com. We're making our way down to uh, the field area. And we just heard a really loud roar, like, oh, I wonder what that was. <laughs> then we got out and saw the TVs in the media workroom and then saw what happened. So I missed that play. Um, I would put the Mike Thomas catching that game up there, certainly the Curtis Samuel run. But I think my answer is also the Braxton Miller run at Penn State for biggest uh, individual effort I think I've seen, or best individual effort I think I've seen on a, on a single play. Uh, I was covering Penn State at the time, but I was there in the press box watching the game. Uh, and I, like Austin, my jaw was on the floor when I saw that happen because I had no idea that a one-yard run could be so exciting. Think about how different 
the experience is watching that one and a half yard run by Braxton Miller versus two years later, the 93 yard touchdown run by JT Barrett and (laughs) (laughs) at Minnesota and how different, like the energy felt in those two plays. You have a 93 yard touchdown run where it's like, is this play ever going to end versus that one and a half yard uh, explosion by Braxton? We're like, Holy crap. Was that real? But I didn't see that one in person. What's kind of crazy to me is that I'm thinking about this. It's almost I can think of like 10 amazing plays from Ohio State Penn State games. And over the last decade plus, they tend to resonate more. I guess a lot of those Ohio State Michigan games when they got blow, to be blowouts or you know when you you knew what the outcome was going to be is probably a foregone conclusion. Those games from the rivalry, the those the best plays don't really register in my mind quite as frequently as when Ohio State and Penn State have played. It's that's kind of a unique twist, I think. I, I would also say there's one other play, and that's Justin Fields' touchdown pass yeah. at Michigan when he came back in yeah. off after the play where he missed, where, where Chris Juggernaut had to come in. The touchdown pass that he threw in the corner of the end zone to Garrett Wilson was probably like that. That might be up there as far as just like, holy, did I just see that? Yeah, yeah that's and the, and the circumstances. Yeah. And then his one other Justin Fields moment, the touchdown throw to Chris Olave against Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, probably the best throw that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he really uncorked that thing. That was like it just like kept going. It's like oh okay, I guess that one threw seventy yards. Was that one somewhat lessened by the fact that he did the exact same thing to James Williams like (laughs) five minutes later? Uh, no, but it was like he was challenged in a game of horse. Like you have to prove it. He's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Watch this. And then I'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Just for good measure. Just so you know, it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> uh, cool. That was a good one. <clears throat> yeah. Good question. Uh, here's one. It's more up Berms Alley. Obviously, it's recruiting related. Uh, from BDC 11. Should we be concerned about defensive recruiting? 13 total recruits, only two linebackers, no defensive linemen, no cornerbacks, no safeties. If not now, when, Berm? When will they get yeah. defensive recruits? Will yeah. they ever get the be, be concerned? It's it's not a this year issue. It's a it's been going on. Obviously, twenty twenty one was a pretty good defensive class, and you're seeing the fruit of that bear out now. Uh, as you expect to look ahead at the NFL draft next year and see a bunch of guys from that twenty twenty one class, but not all of those guys are on defense. Um, certainly, the longer it goes without a rush of defensive commits and without Ohio State getting its defense back to what people have expected it to be over the last decade plus. Uh, that is going to continue to be a concern. But they have to put it on the field to make sure that these kids understand that you're coming to Ohio State and you're not being wasted as a defensive player. So uh, some of it's trust and understanding that they got to buy into the system. Some of it is Ohio State needing to put it on the field and show that these kids are making the right decision. But some of that is also the fact that we've talked about, you know, this is what the first time in five years that there hasn't been what feels like wholesale changes on the defensive coaching staff. So you should expect a little bit more continuity and I think success coming here in the next month uh, on that front because it, it is actually easier when you actually have coaches that have stayed around for a while. Have you filmed the uh, Aaron Scott commitment video yet? I have not. <laughs> okay. Berm, do you, I mean, do you think that there are still defensive recruits who aren't sure about the Jim Knowles system or the success of the defense? Because Bill and I have had this conversation before, and we know what happened in the in the fourth quarter against Georgia, and then in the second half against Michigan. But like over the course of the year, that defense was pretty dramatically improved statistically. Maybe not in every measure that you throw out, but 
Uh, I don't like, is there still much resistance or uncertainty about what they're doing? Cause it feels like I, we get this from fans too. It's not just about recruits, but like I, I, to me, it felt like the trajectory forward was clear that they were on back on the upswing. I don't know that it's necessarily even an Ohio state specific issue. Uh, I really think it's just a, a big 10 issue where even though there's regularly good defense played in the big 10, I think that kids around the country have this mindset that if you want to make it to the NFL as a defensive player, you have to play in the sec. And I, I, I mean, you can certainly understand some of that uh, belief based on just NFL draft results, but uh, it, even in, la- in the last cycle, the 20, 2023 cycle, there are a handful of kids who I know sp- certainly and specifically who were told, hey, don't go to the Big Ten because you're not going to get the same sort of run you're going to get in the SEC. And that's why they picked Georgia or Alabama. And, and that that's a, something that the entire league has to overcome. Um, Ohio State was able to do that earlier, you know, five, six years ago, but they, they really have slowed down quite a bit when it comes to producing defensive players. So uh, it, until that can change and you start to see more of these guys in the draft, then uh, I think that's the battle you're just going to face. Michigan is doing a better job. You know, they've, they've been really good defensively the last couple of years, but even they're not going out and dominating and, and pulling in all the defensive players they want from around the country. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, Cause like you see, like Illinois defense last year was awesome. Iowa's had really good defense, Iowa, but they're not, yeah. they're not like, <clears throat> They're not bringing in five star guys. They're just like developing fourth and fifth year players into really good defenders. And like, do you is that the world that Ohio State is going to have to live in, or am I am I being too alarmist about that? Uh, probably too alarmist about it. But okay. I think that there's there's somewhere in the middle that you have to be able to search for if you're Ohio State. It's still Ohio State, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. They're they're going to be up in you know they both made the playoff a year ago. They're both projected to make the playoff again this year by a lot of people. So if you do that again, then these things have a way of of fixing themselves. But the Buckeyes have to get guys in the NFL and get drafted, and, and they haven't really done that defensively the last two years. And it, it's it it's recency bias for sure. But that's you're selling what happened last week all the time. So, uh, you know, Georgia certainly was not the world's best defensive program in the country until two years ago. Now, anyone who wants to play defense has to go to Georgia. So it's not doesn't have to be that way, but you have to be able to fight. You have to be able to sell against it. Well, only if they want to play for the birds. That's right. It's the pathway to the birds. Well, I guess well, that's true. have they started making bird dogs shirts yet? Uh, I've I think seen Spencer people. has some of those. <laughs> I've seen people tweet it. I don't know that I've seen it on a shirt just yet. I can promise you, I will not be wearing. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shirt. imagine so. I wouldn't. Yeah, I am. Not, I am not in favor of the let's bring Georgia's defense to the NFL plan, but we'll see how it goes. Um. Oh, one more question on that, Berm. Do does the addition of like USC and UCLA, like two or one, a very high powered offensive program, and one like a pretty good offensive program on the Chip Kelly, does that like help? reshape the narrative at all about paying defense in the big 10 uh, no i don't know if it's if that narrative has started because there was concerns about the offenses in the big 10 and maybe you weren't getting enough competition maybe that helps but it's bottom line is like i think there's a number of people who are ohio state fans who are concerned that ryan day's program is more like a big 12 program and if you bring in lincoln riley it's even more like big 12 off more like big 12 football in the big 10 um, so I think that's a bigger concern than, than like, are you actually getting prepared? I think it's just like, Hey, where, where are the, where are the trenches? Where are the dudes that make the, the game different? Um, yeah. and it seems like those guys are just all in the sec. 
They sure are. And sometimes they show up in Seattle and then Ohio State gets them. So yeah, so you have to, that's what you have to hope for, I guess. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's do another football question. Um, from the OSU fan, as I see things for 2023, the offensive line will dictate how the team goes. It will be the reason they win or lose even more than the quarterback. What say you? I like the question. I appreciate the question for sure. I think it's difficult to answer. I think, and I'm not trying to avoid it. Uh, it's easy to say every year that it comes down to the trenches. So that's not the most controversial statement in the world. But I, if if this comes down to how good is Ohio State at right tackle specifically, and if we ha- if let's say that we have confidence in the other four, I won't speak for both of you. There are there could be ways for them to scheme around that with all the other talent they have. So I don't know that that's a deal breaker. Ohio State is going to score a lot of points, and they will find a way to do so, even if the offensive line is not the best in the Big Ten uh, or top five in the country or a Joe Moore award-winning unit. I think that they will be fine to put up points. So to me, it comes down to how much push they get on the defensive line, how much more improvement is made at cornerback from last year to this year. I think those two are probably more pressing despite all the attention that we've given uh, to the offensive line since the middle of March. I think I think I agree with that. Yeah, like for someone who uh, likes the offensive line play as much as I do, I I think we can maybe overstate um, just how much of an impact it might have if they're not, you know, the Joe Moore award winners. Like I, I think there's ways to work around it. I think we've seen teams with good, not great offensive line play do do pretty well in college football. I don't think it's it. it I don't think it's the thing that takes you from like good or great to elite. I think that is the other side of the ball on the defensive line and whether or not you can just wreak havoc on opposing teams, quarterbacks. Um, and I guess the two go hand in hand, but um, I don't know. I think it's, it's the biggest question mark for, for Ohio state is the offensive line for sure. Um, and if they're just terrible across the board, then yeah, it's going to make a major difference in wins and losses. I'm not anticipating that. Um, I think they could have some soft spots, especially early on that they'll have to work around. Um, but I, I don't know if I'm like all the way there on that's the one thing that makes or breaks the season for them. My opinion is that if you had an established returning quarterback who you knew could do things and make things happen on his own, the offensive line being a question mark is less of a concern. But because you have an unproven quarterback and the questions at offensive line, I think those two are are linked together. And any shortcomings that you find on the offensive line are going to be exacerbated by a quarterback who maybe isn't in a position to um, – you know, handle it without panic or or without making it worse. So uh, I agree that they're both going to be pretty important, but I I think the offensive line keeping Kyle McCord upright is what's going to make Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. I'm sorry for anyone Uh-oh. out there. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, <laughs> I'm just saying my belief is that Kyle McCord will be the starter in game one. So um, if, if Kyle McCord is able to stay upright, it's because the offensive line is doing their job. And if Kyle McCord is able to stay upright, he's going to do his job a lot better. So I think that those things are, are um, going to matter. But to me, as Bill said, like the defensive line being elite is what will win a national championship for anyone around the country at this point. So if you have that, if, if Larry Johnson's unit can get back to where they've been, if what Austin said, the corners can get back to where they were in the mid-2010s, the offensive line can be average and the Buckeyes can still win a national championship. Yeah. I think there is, I, I am just repeating someone. I have not looked this up myself, 
But I think there is. Who are you repeating? That is important. Uh, Bud Elliott from Two Four Seven Sports, who I who who touts a lot the idea that there is a more direct correlation between like defensive talent and acumen and national championships than there is anything you do on the offensive side of the ball. So I I just I think that side matters more, even in a world where teams put up a lot of points and like Ohio State put up a lot of points on Georgia. But it's like, can you string together? Do you have enough dudes on your side of the ball that when you play up against an elite offense, you can get three or four stops? And like, I think that's the difference in winning national championships anymore. That almost plays in Bill anecdotally to what we talked about at the end of last year when we're like, gosh, has any has any offensive play calling head coach won a national championship in the playoff era? And was like, no, they sure haven't. Like yeah. it does like those two things would seem to fit together. And I, I think that it's the defensive success for Ohio State this year that will determine that more than anything. They're gonna score points. And the other part of that is it's only gonna come down to two or three games where I would think there's going to be enough defensive line talent to actually give Ohio State problems. Mm-hmm. The guys that they have are good. They will get better throughout the course of the season. I assume that's the way that it normally works uh, for the Buckeyes. But you know, how many times is it really going to matter? It's not going to matter in the first uh, three weeks. And you know, Notre Dame they they had pretty good success handling that group a year ago. Now these are different people. I get that, but we're talking about what Notre Dame, Penn State maybe Wisconsin, and then the last week of the regular season. Um, if you get to the Big Ten championship game and you know you have a tough Iowa defense maybe, and then obviously the playoff is a different matter, but the later you get in the season, the more you should see growth and improvement. So as long as it doesn't bite them in September, I have a hard time believing it would trip them up into October, November, or December, or January. Ohio State yeah. went from what, like 80th defensively mm-hmm. in 2021 to 21st in 2022 or something like that. Mm-hmm. What did they have to be in 2022 to win a national championship on defense? 16, 15? You know, you really needed to avoid two or three plays that cost you a, a championship on the defensive side of the ball and a missed field goal that would have won a national championship on offense. So, right. I, I don't think that either way that the, the difference between championship or bust is that um big uh, on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball it's it's at this point as you said like it's four games so uh you you really just have to find a way to be ready in those four would you guys feel stronger about the potential impact good or bad the offensive line could have on the season if the opener was on the road at notre dame yeah yeah yeah, I don't. But I don't I mean, think it matters. Sorry, Austin. If if yeah, you lose no. that game and you win all the rest, you're still in the playoffs. So right. Um, right. I don't know that it matters ultimately that much one way or the other. As long as as what Austin said, as long as you're getting better towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that that scenario would be ideal at all. But I've made this point before. On paper, we know what happens when Ohio State and Indiana play. But those games get wonky, and it is on the road. You'd have to think that for a season opener, uh, in that situation, that like that's that's going to be pretty hostile as well. So it's not as if they're just going to get three weeks to dip their toe in. They're going to have to be ready in week one. Is it going to be enough with Indiana's pretty terrible offense and uh, a, a defense that's not nearly as talented as it was for the last couple of years? Like I'd, I'd be surprised if it caught them, but you know it, it will be a challenge and we'll probably learn a lot just based on how they play there. It is a... It's almost like kind of, I guess you would rather just have like three cupcakes and then play Notre Dame. But I think the idea that like you're not really in any jeopardy to lose, but you just do have to go on the road and play a Big Ten game and you, you have potential to learn a lot about yourself, I think is a pretty good sweet spot for Ohio State to start the season. 
Yeah, yeah, Indiana has a full offseason, though, to prepare and scheme up stuff for a first-time quarterback in an, in an offensive line that may be a little suspect. So they're, they're going to see some interesting stuff coming out of the gate. Macarary is going to have something for Ryan Day, huh? Yeah, I mean, you f- don't forget the Macarary impact. He, he knows what's going on. He knows what Ohio the M- State do. The MGI. <laughs> hey, uh, which one of us do you think would win a home run derby? Bill Landis. <laughs> Berm played, Bill. Played, played baseball at a, at a high level. Uh, probably Bill. Though. You're just a lot. Yeah, I mean, I pitched. I, was, I mean, I guess I, I, if we're hitting a softball, I could probably hit a softball fairly well. Bill's going to hit more of them further, I think, than I will. Just I, am, uh, I, I used to play a lot of softball before I moved to Ohio, um, and I've not played in like seven years, but I'm playing in a league this summer. So I went to the batting cages like two weeks ago just to swing a bat for the first time in forever, and like my hands hurt when I was done. Like I couldn't close my hands all the way <laughs> when I was done. When I woke up the next morning, and, I, and I, I think I hit like 80 balls maybe, and the next day I was like, this is the most painful my hands have ever felt. Welcome well, to getting st- older, bud. Yeah. Stop, stop mashing. It must be what it is. Yeah. I think it's just because the, it was uh bad softballs and the bat I was using, I think is like 25 years old. So yeah, the batting practice, the, the, the batting cage uh, bats that are lined up against the chain link fence <laughs> are not going to be the same as those $400, you know, <laughs> D Marini's that the people are buying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I would win too. Not to do my own horn, but I think I would win. Um, I answered it in the thread. Cause I'm like, we don't even need it. Bill's, Bill's going to ask this, I guess, so that we pat him on the back. I'm like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm going to put the answer right here so that we don't have to do it. Like, we don't even, we're not even trying to put up a fight. I'm a contact hitter. <laughs> I am not. I'm striking out or I'm hitting it over the fence, but they're, yeah, they're striking out in softball. Come on, Bill. No, not softball. I, one time I actually did strike out softball. It was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> uh, all right. Football question. Uh, we've talked. I know you guys have talked about the 2025 quarterback situation recently. I think we did that like after um, I went to the Elite 11 a couple weeks ago. Uh, but Ohio State has offered Tavian St. Clair. Uh, what are your updated thoughts on how this situation plays out? Ah, uh, boy, you guys want that, that, that's for you guys, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. welcome to talking stuff. No, actually, uh. By the time this airs, a talking stuff will have already been on uh, the podcast about mm-hmm. uh, this situation. So he keeps giving we, away the time frame of you, recording. Like, you can God, revert. You can revert to uh, that timeline on YouTube and see what uh, my thoughts were and Andrews were. But ultimately, I think it's a situation where Ohio State realized that heading into a busy June for Tavian St. Clair, that we'll see him at Oklahoma, at LSU, at Michigan twice or for two days, at Alabama, et cetera. Like this is a kid who physically looks entirely different than he did a year ago when Ohio State really began evaluating him. Bill, you saw him at the Elite 11. Like He he has changed his frame yeah. considerably, uh, and he's gotten much better uh, in the last year. And he's a kid that's doing it in a very different way than a lot of the kids around the country who are dialed in with a thousand different uh, quarterback coaches or, or personal trainers. This, this is not how he's doing it. And the most important thing I think you look at here is that the battle between him and Ryan Montgomery, which is what people are going to make this into, and I don't think it needs to be that uh, head-to-head, um, is neither one of these players or Bryce Underwood, the number one-ranked quarterback in the country from Belleville, Michigan, who was also a very realistic possibility for Ohio State in the class of 2025, none of those guys, if Ohio State is doing things the right way at quarterback, should be called upon to be the quarterback in Columbus for like five more years. So <laughs> you're looking at where they are now, and projecting where they're going to be in five more years. 
Um, and if you look at Tavian St. Clair at almost six foot four, 210 pounds, the way, I mean, the dude looks like Cam Newton all of a sudden this offseason <laughs> is the size of him. He's a three sport athlete. He stopped playing baseball this year so he could focus entirely on football, which he's not done before. The sky is the limit for him, I think. And I think that's what happened on Wednesday when Ohio State and Corey Dennis offered him. They saw a kid that, like, whoa, that is a major change from where he was a year ago. Let's not allow that door to go close for too long while other schools like Tennessee has been in on him from the, from the beginning of his freshman year. There are other schools around the country trying to make a play and trying to create this divide and say, Hey, Ohio state offered Montgomery. They didn't offer you. They don't want you. Mm-hmm. And and they're just going to from here, let it play out. There's no hurry on either part on either player's part to make a decision. So June will be very interesting. Tavian was only expected on campus for a June 21st seven-on-seven tournament in Columbus. I imagine now he'll get back and work, do some personal work, but um, it's really just rewarding someone who's earned it as opposed to making any sort of decision. I watched Talking Stuff on Thursday night. I was going to say the exact same thing. Fair. (laughs) Yeah, me too. He, uh, yeah, he's just like physically impressive. I don't, I don't want to make it too much of a Montgomery versus Tavian thing either. But if if there was something like last summer when he, when you watched the two that separated them, I thought it was just like the physicality. Like Ryan just looked much farther along, and I think Tavian has caught up. But um, they're both good, so I don't know. It's good to have two really good, I think, in-state options at quarterback. Ohio State has not had that in quite some time, so I think it's yeah, a fun thing. I mean, they've not signed an in-state quarterback since Joe Burrow and. The last time that we had like two players in the state where they were in the same class that were that sort of conversation was Braxton Miller and Cardale Jones in 2011. So it's been a long time since you even had to worry about this in the state. Uh, Ohio State would love to sign an in-state quarterback. And I could see a scenario where if if they both went into it totally understanding the situation, saying you're going to be here three, four years and, and compete it out over that time as opposed to expecting to be a year one player or year two starter, that I, I could see a scenario where both those guys end up at Ohio State. Um, and then you let it let the chips fall where they may. But uh, bottom line is, as I said, this isn't about an indictment of Ryan Montgomery or anything else. It's about Tavion Sinclair has worked his tail off and has improved significantly from a year ago. And the upside is is really, really high. So that's really what it's about. Want to get another question or two in? I'd love one all, more. I got all, all the time in the world, Bill. <clears throat> so no, you don't. You I, don't I do not York. want to go anywhere. I don't want to leave. <laughs> Please don't make me get on that bus. This is going to be a 24-hour marathon podcast that uh, start started uh, 12 hours before you started watching it. That makes uh, me wonder, <laughs> how long do you think we could actually do a show? Like... If we had a, a, an endless stream of questions, how long do you guys physically think you could do this before you're like, screw it, I'm out of here, I'm ripping my hair out, I quit, I quit? Uh, less than 24 hours. <laughs> Soft. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> a long time. Uh, I don't. I think staying up consecutively for 24 hours to do anything is a challenge. So maybe Bill is right about that, but like I like both of you guys a lot and I like (laughs) talking about sports. Like once we're done recording, like I'll probably still be talking to Bill about sports cards and like, I'll be, you know, making sure that whatever I see that's funny about, um, I think you should leave coming out next week that I send to, to berm and keep him sane on the bus. Like, I don't just like stop talking to you guys when we're done. So if I, if the camera's on, who cares? I'll keep yeah. going. 
I'll crack I, I some beers and we'll stay here all night. <laughs> I think I could do like 10, 12 hours without really a problem. Like, yeah, I don't know that there's an appetite for a three hour, four hour long daily show with us, but like I could probably, probably do it I, for me. There is. I could do it because I just love to hear myself talk, but I don't know <laughs> that other people do. Anyway, Bill, what's the next question? Uh, <laughs> we know that uh, the Notre Dame game is a night game that was announced on Wednesday. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that the Michigan State game is a night game. Uh, so the question is, how many night games do we think Ohio State will have this season? I expect the Indiana game to be a night game. I kind of um, don't think it will be now. I think it'll be big noon. Right? I, mean, isn't, I hope that's the case. But no, I isn't, isn't Colorado TCU big noon? Is it okay? Well, where are they going to put it then? Because Penn State at West Virginia, Penn State uh, West Virginia is at night, right? So I'm surprised yeah, they're not. I'm surprised they're not trying to push it to Friday at this point. It's too late now. It's never too uh, and they can't, right? Because there's the weird rules, like Minnesota plays on Thursday nights because of their fair, and then Michigan fair, State's yeah. been taking all those Friday night openers. Like it's about trying to find the right slot. So you'd think it'd be well, clear. It almost feels like it's got to be three thirty now. Do they still have to put games on Big Ten Network? I mean, uh, is that not a Big Ten Network night game at Indiana? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I, I Purdue. You know, Purdue's going to push for a night game, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's their their shot. Even though anytime you go to West Lafayette is basically like stepping into some sort of time warp where the world <laughs> stops spinning. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I I think four. Uh, I think you'll you'll see one or two random discussion like Rutgers. Rutgers finds a way to like put that on BTN at night. You know, it's still early yeah. October. It's nice enough that it's not a big deal. Buckeyes fans will travel. Uh, I think you could see four or five, to be honest. The way that the, the Big Ten and, and these networks are going to do whatever they can to utilize and use Ohio State over the next uh, year until the playoff and all this money as they try to figure out these TV deals. It used to be a lot easier, Bill, and I thought like I had it down. I could pretty much look at all 12, and I knew what windows they were going to be. I knew like I, I often had some insight on the draft between Fox and the Disney networks and like, was telling people like Penn State, I'm sorry, like it, this is going to be at noon. That's just the way it is. Um, I don't feel that way now because A, it's a new broadcast deal, and B, the contract details that we talked about are like they're just making it up as they go. So yeah, it probably will be four or five night games, but it may not be the ones that we think. Yeah, like I would not have guessed Toledo being a night game <laughs> last year. So you have to account for the the Tim Brando FS1 banger of prime in prime time. I guess falling somewhere in Ohio State schedule. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought that Indiana at first was going to be a night game, and then they put the Penn State game there, and it's like, oh, it'll be big noon, and then they want to put D on there. So I guess that's three thirty. I I guess you could do multiple night games. They're doing it for the Notre Dame week. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess they're not they're not shy about doing that. So yeah, I guess Indiana I mean, could be. Is Notre Dame playing in Ireland in that first week of the season, or is that, is that week zero? I don't think because you have NBC games too, right? I mean, so there's all these things that can be wiggled around, and, and Bloomington's basically well, that, South Bend, so maybe NBC just has their truck there. But the NBC game is the Penn State West Virginia game. Am I wrong? That is, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. That, yeah, and then the Notre Dame week is Penn State Iowa is on CBS at night. I think is what it is. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so, so much confusion because so NBC Big Ten network. Yeah. yeah, so NBC is booked. Big Noon is apparently booked. 
So, I don't know. Theoretically, CBS can move a game to the night, but this there's not an SEC game in the afternoon. I would think that maybe CBS would be wanting to say, here is our introduction to Big Ten football, and it's going to be Ohio State. Like, couldn't If I'm trying to put the pieces together, that's sort of where I'm going to land right now. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. That's actually, now that I think about it, probably likely. We're just guessing, but um, I think you're going to get a random one. I think like, uh, yeah, Notre Dame, Michigan State, I don't know. I feel like they're going to make them play at night at Camp Randall. Um, Yeah. And then Purdue, maybe. And if Youngstown State or Western Kentucky is like a primetime game that's streaming exclusively on Peacock, I'm not going to be surprised by that. Streaming where? Oh, sorry. Streaming on the cock. What about BTN? Were we forgetting that Big Ten Network exists? They have to put games there too, right? That's the Rutgers nighttime banger. It's a class. So they have they, to play, but they have to play two on once. BTN, right? Only no, once only now? Get them once. None of this makes any sense. Yeah. It's the burn it, birthday banger on BTN. The week His after favorite, this year. He finally dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> it was always my favorite when it was like his birthday fell on the Sunday when we're driving back from Rutgers. Like, happy birthday, buddy. Let's drive this, nine hours back from New Jersey. This year, to, this year it falls on the house. Sunday before. Sunday before, Bengals and Titans in Nashville. Buckeyes have the weekend off. Bengals get to play the Titans, and I get to be there? Did you already acquire the tickets? No, but I, I don't see any scenario where I'm missing it. So The wards were invited, but I feel like he's just booking plans without us. I have what if the weather's thing. bad? Do you know what the weather's going to be that weekend? It's Nashville on October 1st. It's going to be beautiful. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds great. That you won't stop hit, him. Hit Broadway? Uh, yeah. <laughs> got to go to... I got to go to Jason Aldean's bar. Oh, I'm not going there. Why not? You anti-Jason Aldean? Come on. I used to live in Tennessee. He's a fine I'm not singer. That's nothing to do with him. I'm not going to go do all of the crazy tourist things on Broadway when I've been there 55 times. Well, aren't you special? I've only been there. Yes, I am. I'm going to show you the cool things that are in Nashville. No, do we have another football question? The ones that the bachelorettes are at. Come on. Do we have another football question? Yeah, like one Uh, final football question to wrap this up with a nice tight bow so we can (laughs) tell people we cared. Oh, yeah. Well, well, this is like a quasi football question. Which player on the team would you pick to be your tag team partner in a WWE? Hell yeah. Football and shenanigans. Let's go. Well, Dewan Jones is not on the team anymore. Yeah, because that'd be like, that's an automatic. Uh, I think I would go. Marvin's probably the best wrestler because he's not from America or the world that we know currently. Right. (laughs) So he's probably from outer space and has abilities to create like telepathic moves and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that'd be cool. Um, Jack Sawyer reminds me of what a wrestler would be. Right. (laughs) It's the tattoo. It's the tattoo. I think Jack is Jack to me is like, the guy, like, if if we altered this question and said who's most likely to have a professional wrestling career after playing football is over, Jack is a perfect fit for that. So I think he's the guy I'd, I'd pick. Hmm. He, I see, like, like JT Tuimolowau, like, seems like a fairly docile individual, but something about like those Polynesian bloodlines, man, like, it's just, it's it just, it's, it's in them, I think, to be a wrestler. 
So I might have to go with JT. Plus, he's like you know gigantic. So you're you're just putting him in the bloodline with the Usos and Roman Reigns. That's right. Genetics, That's right. yeah. Don't call me res- JTT. I can respect That's his that. final move. So it does help a lot of times if you have an amateur wrestling background. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I believe that there's an offensive lineman from the state of Indiana who has one of those, right? There's actually yeah. two. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. And they had to wrestle each other, Kevin Wilson told us earlier this year. So I'm either going with Josh Fryer or Tobe Nato. And Toby might be the more interesting choice because he's going to be able to handle the mic work. That's going to get us some better opportunities yeah. if we can go rile up some heat. They followed up with a question of like, if you would want to be face or heel, there's absolutely no question that I'm working heel. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that if Josh Fryer seems to have some of that too, I'd like to manage those two as a tag team would be my ideal scenario. And then I can be on the mic for both of them. Oh my uh, gosh. F- fried green tomatoes. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. How did you do that? That's perfect. <laughs> He's just letting all the creativity out before he gets zapped in New York City. Beautiful. The fried uh, green tomatoes. But I'm taking uh, amateur wrestling background and offensive lineman. That's the way forward. Yeah, I'm that's taking, pretty good. I'm taking superstar muscles, tattoos. Jack would probably... You remember the character? I think it was Guile from Street Fighter 2. Remember that? The sure. guy who... You yeah, know, let's yeah. let's just you say yes. You know what I'm talking about? It was named Guy. I don't remember. He had the big hair. Bill, look him up. Street Fighter Two. I think it was Guy. You'll know who I'm talking about, right? That's who I think Jack Jack could play. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. you're right. Jack yeah. could play that character to a T, and so that that's the the way he'd go. Yeah. I think and he's gonna work. he's gonna shave his head and be Brock Lesnar. But Brock yeah. Lesnar already exists. Oh, okay. What about Kate Stover? Kate would be a pretty great choice also. He would get kicked out for actually hitting people. Yeah, he's the guy that like you do and like you'd have the, the you'd hit someone with a chair and you know it's supposed to be fun and, and he would actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he can be trusted with that. <laughs> Which is a great quality to have, but for the uh purposes of this question, I guess he's not a great answer. Kate Stover yeah. to the UFC Octagon, sign me up. Yeah. Kate Stover in the squared circle trying to manufacture some drama probably not agreed okay that settles it all right only uh 21 uh, 23 hours and uh third 22 minutes to go let's let's keep going well let's take a break because there's not a beer sitting right here and we'll we'll regroup later on uh, also the bus is leaving i hear the horn outside your house <laughs> yeah is this the time when we tell people that we're not gonna do a memorial day show so that they're yes. not expecting something on Monday morning. So we, Berm is maybe not vacationing to the same level or relaxing the, as Bill and I are this week at all. We, not at all. It's not at all. I would should should say. So uh, the content will be dry over the Memorial Day weekend at OhioState.Rivals.com on Monday morning. We will not have the podcast daily on a Monday for the first time since we've uh, ever been in existence here. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday for that. Bill and I are going to talk about the offensive tackles. We've been teasing it for several days. That's how we'll come back from the holiday, uh, talking about that on the podcast daily. Roosters w- uh, with the Horseshoe Lounge will also be on Tuesday because of the holiday. Uh, Roosters is closed on Monday. And then we are anticipating Ohio State co- uh, coaches having a media day uh, and an update session for the offseason. We think that's going to be Tuesday, expecting that at some point next week, no matter what. So there'll be a lot more content. 
to make up for the fact that uh, today forward, we're going to shut it down and be with our families and then uh, uh, pay tribute to this fine country. TPD, Roosters, Snappy Jays. I mean, Tuesday is going to be a bang. That's a Tuesday. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we need several days to get ready for what's coming back. We're out of shape. We're out of form. Uh, but we're going to pour out the content again uh, next week as May winds down and we get ready for June and camp season. Or we're going to have a ton of content coming. Uh, try and find some new ways to cover those for you. Uh, big plans for that moving forward. But for now, don't expect a lot for the next couple of days. And we hope that you have an opportunity wherever you are to relax as well. Thank you so much for joining us for a Freaky Friday mailbag on the podcast daily. We will talk to you on Tuesday unless something goes crazy. And then Bill and I will handle that. But let's knock on wood and enjoy Memorial Day weekend. For Bill and Burr, I'm Austin. We'll talk to you later.